Welcome to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Good Saturday morning to you. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Bill, how are you doing today? Great, Jason. Good morning. Good morning to you, Bill. Excited to have you in. You know, we're uh, we're in that season. We're getting bombarded with all the political ads and, you know, early voting is going on. So, uh, you know, it's it's a, an interesting time in the world and uh, we want to encourage some folks to go out and vote. Yeah, yeah no question about that. And I, and I would remind people uh, that you know, we have a little more than a week left uh, to, to vote, and there are lots of different ways to vote. And I would encourage folks to vote early, but not often. <laughs> but, uh, vote once, uh, but make sure you get yourself to the polls. And I'm talking to everybody out there. I'm not tr- trying to uh, say anything as it relates to vote one way or vote the other, with one exception. And that is these amendments that are on our ballots, because I cannot emphasize enough that uh, these amendments uh, constitute a, a true constitutional crisis for this state. And I'm talking as a, a citizen uh, who is upset uh, at what the swamp has been up to. Because you have to understand that these amendments uh, represent a power grab by those who are, are deep in the swamp, if you will, uh, and, and, and they're on our ballot with no executive oversight. Basically, the bottom line is, is that the, the governor objected, but his objection is meaningless to the legislature because they have what's called a veto-proof majority. So even though the executive branch objected to these amendments uh, as being overreached by the swamp, um, they're still on our ballot. And uh, truthfully, uh, where the legislature, where the swamp is actually trying to get to is uh, to take over our judiciary. You have to understand that some of the issues on uh, the the amendments are there because the courts said they were unconstitutional. And, of course, some of them, the North Carolina courts have said are unconstitutional. Some the federal courts have said are unconstitutional. But the bottom line is is that uh, the swamp is trying to overreach so that they can – Enlarge the swamp <laughs> to become more powerful. Uh, and unfortunately, the power in the legislature rests with two guys uh, who are not elected statewide, uh, and they control what happens in the North Carolina House and the North Carolina Senate, and it's their power grab, if, if you will. And, and their members uh, pretty much have to go along with what they want, otherwise they can be castrated by – uh, as an elected uh, person uh, from their own party if, if they don't go along with these leaders. I mean, it's, it's um, pretty sad how, how that works. But um, I guess one way to think of these amendments <laughs> is uh, you're perfectly healthy and uh, your spouse tells you that you need to go get a checkup. And unfortunately, you pick the wrong doctor and you go to a real quack who prescribes six medications but doesn't tell you 
really why. And uh, all six medications uh, have huge side effects, and and they don't have any information on what they do or why you're supposed to take them. It's just like, well, you know, do this. And unfortunately, in every case um, with these amendments or this medication, if you will, that they want you to take, um, it, it results in the doctor getting richer. <laughs> but it harms us in a big way. And the, and the biggest harm is in the, the, uh, a very fundamental concept of, of government and in, in our state government and in our federal government. But this is um, a state takeover, if you will. And it's where the legislature is trying to destroy the independence of the judiciary. And uh, frankly, we need separation of powers in this state uh, because – our judiciary is there to say no when either the executive branch uh, or the legislative branch uh, overreaches. You know, they do things that they shouldn't be doing, and this is one of those cases. And I, I know I've been harping on this for the last several weeks, and I apologize for that, but this is not a partisan uh, uh, viewpoint, uh, and I would I would remind voters, everybody, and and you can even register to vote uh, at the, on the same day at this point, as long as you do it early. Um, <clears throat> but the bottom line is, every former governor says these amendments are bad, Republican and Democrat, uh, and every former Chief Justice of the North Carolina Supreme Court is against these amendments. I mean, it's this is a bipartisan thing where the citizens of this state just have to step up and tell the legislature no by voting against these amendments. And unfortunately, uh, the legislature didn't even let the commission that was supposed to write the explanation write them. They said, no, we want to write these explanations ourselves. So they called a special session just so they could mislead you on the ballot. So what you see on the ballot is very misleading for every one of these amendments. Say It looks like, well, maybe that's not a ter terrible idea. But the bottom line is they're not telling you what, what these amendments actually will do. And there's not a single one on the ballot that is needed or even appropriate. So anyway, can't say in, uh, how important it is for all of us to step up and, and vote against these amendments. And because and, um, the only folks who really want these amendments are come right from the swamp. <laughs> we need to drain the swamp. Yeah, go ahead. Make your voice heard. Go out and vote. Uh, it's it's a, a very, very important thing to do. It's your civil duty. Go out and do it. There's uh, nothing there to stop you. So please, we encourage everyone to go out and vote for the, the in these midterm elections. Well, we've got some uh, more asset protection tips for you lined up later today. We've got some tax moves and some, uh, some other things that you want to keep in mind for you when it comes to asset protection. Stick around. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680. WPTF.
You're listening to Asset Protection Today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. Thank you so much for joining us. We are, uh, Bill, shifting gears a little bit here, and it's hard to believe that we're approaching that time already, but you've got some very important smart tax moves for us. Well, you know, the bottom line is it's getting back to business here. Yep. And I think it's important that folks realize that um, – you know, taxation is uh, and how much we pay and uh, is extremely important to each one of us. Um, and that's uh, uh, and of course, as you know, I, I uh, work with uh, seniors to a great degree and have a, a seniors have a special place in my heart. Uh, and of course, the new tax laws that were passed by Congress uh, last year that go into effect for this tax year will have a s- significant impact um, on a lot of folks because our, our our tax forms, if you will, will be significantly different this year. Now, there's good and bad, just like there is in most legislation. Um, for a lot of folks who used to have a complicated tax return, uh, a lot of those folks will be able to file with the standard deduction. Um, but uh, uh, that comes with bad news, particularly for seniors with that have formerly had and still have uh, very high medical expenses because one of the deductions is for medical expense. And so if you think about it, you know, if you have a spouse uh, or you uh, can't, you know, if you have home care, because home care can be several thousand dollars or more per month, or if you're in an assisted living facility, or if one of the spouses is in assisted living, or nursing care. I mean, typically, you're talking about um, thirty or forty thousand dollars a year in medical expenses on the low end, uh, and up to eighty, ninety, a hundred thousand dollars on the or more on the on the high end. I I have some some clients who have had to pay uh, twelve thousand dollars a month for nursing care before we got to help them. Uh, and you do the numbers, 12 times 12 is $144,000 in one year. Well, that constitutes a huge medical deduction, okay? But the problem is, is for a lot of seniors, is the fact that their medical deduction is being reduced significantly by how this standard deduction works. Because um, in previous years, you had a uh, you had a personal exemption for each person. That's gone away, and it's substituted by the standard deduction that has been increased. So even though you might not have to itemize anymore for those folks who don't have huge medical expenses, um, uh, your medical deduction is being decreased in two ways. Number one, the percentage over and above adjusted gross income is going from seven to seven and a half to then to ten percent. In other words, like for instance, if you had fifty thousand dollars in medical expenses, ten percent of that is five. So the first five is not deductible, but then forty-five thousand is deductible. But 
because before, um, you know, in essence, all $45,000 was a deductible expense. Now the difference, uh, you have to get over, for, for a married couple, you have to get over 24000 of deductible expenses before your medical deduction kicks in. So the bottom line is, if you're uh, particularly, you know, home care uh, or even assisted living, you may get little or no medical deduction uh, because of the way the the, the tax is adjusted. Uh, and the and the bottom line, uh, and you know, truthfully, we won't know. I mean, even though folks are saying, "Oh, we've got a big tax break and all this other stuff." Um, Truthfully, for most of us, we will see very little impact on our tax liability. And it all depends on what kind of deductions we have had in the past. Uh, If you were taking standard deductions before, um, then it's highly unlikely that that the new tax law is going to uh, make any real difference to in your tax return. And by by that I mean there there might be you know fifty hundred dollars, couple hundred dollars, one way or the other, but nothing significant. Um, but for, actually, for seniors, it's unfortunate, but uh, the, the, the new tax law is probably going to have a negative impact on most seniors rather than a positive impact. Uh, and I know we, we need to, t- to take a, a break, but uh, there are a lot of other things that I need to talk about in terms of helping folks um, as it relates to preparing for um, – how how we might do things a little differently to get a better result with our income tax returns. Excellent. Stick around. We'll do just that. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Radio 680 WPTF. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander. Jason Kong here with you. Thank you so much for joining us this morning. Uh, We're going through some smart tax moves that you can make heading into the tax season here. And Bill, just before we uh, had to take a break, you were saying that uh, unfortunately, you think that this will have a, a net negative effect on on many seniors when it comes to the well. Taxes. I, th- I think the effect on most. Now, I'm not talking about folks, very wealthy folks, because they truly are getting a huge tax break. Um, but I, you know, that's most of my clients are folks that are solid middle class. Uh, or sometimes uh, in the lower middle class, you know, as far as that goes. So it, it, for middle class taxpayers, I think um, the new tax bill will either have a negligible effect, in other words, very little difference one way or the other, or for a number of seniors, uh, they'll actually end up paying a little more tax, um, uh, maybe not a substantially more, but they'll end up paying more tax than instead of less tax. And of course, for those folks who have high income, uh, uh, those folks are getting a, a huge tax break, um, and, and that's 
I mean, you can't um, say it any differently. That's just the case. And, of course, the biggest tax breaks are going to corporation, to non-individuals, if you will. Uh, okay, so what, what about uh, – what are some of the things that uh, can be done? Well, you know, in, in our jobs economy, there are an awful lot of folks today who, who uh, work from home. They're consultants. There's been a lot of folks who actually uh, lost their job, and now they're, they're looking or to try to do something different because they are still very active, want to make money. Well, um, if, if you've never done it before but you want to do try something, uh, starting a home business – or working from home, if you will, uh, with your own consulting business or whatever it is, this is the great time to do it because the bottom line is uh, business deductions uh, are just as liberal as they've always been. As long as your deductions are ordinary and reasonable, you can deduct it on your on your business uh, returns with very um, uh, a few uh, bars to deductibility. And for those folks who have a profitable business, you know, the self-employed profitable businesses, they're getting a big tax break. Those companies are uh, – and unless your income uh, from all sources is over $315,000, you're getting a 20% break on your business income tax return. That's huge for those folks who are self-employed or have their own own their own business. Uh, so a lot of folks who have LLCs or sub S corporations, those are pass-through types of companies, uh, which is uh, tax similar to a self-employed individual. Uh, those folks are getting a 20% tax break. Now, if your income from all sources is over $415,000, and that's that, that when I say from all sources, I mean income from everything, not just your business. So if you have income from Social Security or if you have income from rental income or dividends or interest or uh, whatever your income is from, then that's all included. So if you're under $315,000 as a married couple, then you get that 20% off the top of your business income. So that's huge. Um, now, a strategy for those folks who um, normally have itemized your deductions. Uh, it's going to be – these are the folks um, who may end up paying substantially more because of the way uh, it's done. I mean, the good news is there have been a lot of folks that are marginally itemized deductors, if you will, and they won't have to itemize anymore. They can take the standard deduction and go home, and they're fine. Or their tax their taxes will remain close to the same. Um, but then there are others um, who still need to itemize because they have higher expenses, um, and they may end up paying a good bit more in tax because of the loss of the personal exemptions. So what do these folks do? Well, one strategy is to try to lump your, um, your deductions that you could itemize um, into one year. In other words, you, you basically um, 
uh, and, and for example, charitable deductions. And, and let's say that you, each year you normally give $5,000 to your church as your tithe or as, as your normal offering. Well, the bottom line is, is if you do it so that in one year you give $10,000, you double up, and in the next year you don't, then in the year that you double up, along with your other deductions, because there, there are ways that you can push a deduction forward or move a deduction into the next year. Um, so the bottom line is, is that if you double up in one year and then take the standard deduction the next year, then you may end up uh, actually improving your tax situation. So that's a strategy that can be used. Obviously, um, you might want to talk to your accountant or CPA about uh, the, the effect of doing that and how to do it successfully. But the, but the bottom line is, is that you, you, overall you may save a good bit of money by basically doing an alternating year strategy, doubling up in one year to itemize, and then the next year you take your standard deduction, and then the next year you itemize and double up and, and back and forth. And so uh, that can be um, significantly helpful as well. Um, of course, a, another big um, change in the, the tax code is a limitation on the deductibility of what you might have heard as salt or salt in the wound, <laughs> where your, uh, your state and local taxes. So what are those? Well, North Carolina has an income tax. Um, and so uh, your income tax coupled with your real estate tax, you see that's a local tax. And your sales tax, when you lump it all together, those are state taxes. And now you're capped at $10,000. So the bottom line is if it's, a, if it's personal and not business, then you're capped. Now, that does not include, say, rental properties because rental properties – are considered like business properties. It's on a different schedule. And so uh, you're not capped on, uh, say, the real estate tax that you pay on your rental properties. But unfortunately, that income tax, that uh, that state income tax, is a, um, doesn't come off on your Schedule E. That comes off on your regular. So that will be capped. But at least you get the real estate tax deduction on your Schedule E, and that's not capped at $10,000. But, you know, truth is most most of us don't have that kind of, of asset. Um, so, uh, but between our real estate tax and our income tax in North Carolina, there are a lot of folks who are going to get capped at the knees. <laughs> and that's bad. <laughs> so that's just another thing that folks need to take, take into consideration as to um, uh, what they do. And so this is really the time of year that people need to be talking to their accountant about strategies. And this is an important role for a CPA to help their clients because this is a huge change in our income tax structure that they passed last year. 
and so the strategies are going to have to be very different for everyone uh, in terms of, uh, of how these taxes make a difference. Yeah, and getting ahead is never a bad thing. So please do your planning now. Take uh, some of these strategy tips that Bill has provided for you into account. And as he said, talk to your uh, your accountant or uh, financial planner. Those are some great tips from Bill. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. To asset protection today with attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Thank you so much for joining us. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. And Bill, you know, one of the things that um, at least comes to my mind with asset protection is making sure that your family, in particular, your spouse and your children are uh, good to go and they're secure and everything's good. But um, you're going to focus a little bit on the spouse. We're going to focus a little bit more on making sure that your spouse is protected. I am, but you're getting ahead of me. Oh, man. Uh, I'm jumping the gun. No, you're jumping the gun. And so there are a couple other little things that uh, – and I do very much want to talk about the things that we need to do for our spouse. And I'm really talking to seniors here. But I want to go back to some things regarding the tax code because that's really important to folks. And then we'll get to what to do about um, uh, things that you need to do uh, to make sure that your spouse is aware of what uh, you're doing uh, and how you do it uh, so that the bottom line is if you become incompetent or die, uh, your spouse is not in la-la land just because of lack of communication. But uh, the, uh, the bottom line is there are a couple other things about the tax code. And, and one of the important ones is, uh, and I said it once, but I'm going to say it again, the standard deduction has gone up. So in previous years, if you were a marginal itemizer, it's highly likely that you will no longer need to itemize. So, and, and that's, that's going to be true for the majority of folks who itemize. Now, it's clearly not going to be true for seniors with high medical expenses. That's why I'm saying to folks that that new tax law may very well hurt seniors when it comes to the medical deduction because that's really important to seniors. Um, but for, for all of those normal folks out there that don't have those high medical expenses and they're living pretty good, but they've itemized in the past, but it didn't give them a whole lot of bang over the standard deduction, you're going to be able to take the standard deduction from here on out until you get sick and have to have high medical expenses. So the uh, the bottom line is is that if you know that you're going to be able to take the standard deduction, you don't have to worry about keeping all those darn receipts and uh, doing all that book work to make sure that you're, you know, to do all the work to make your itemize, the itemization work out, you know. So you're ali ali income free when it comes to that. And you don't have to worry about uh, doing all that work. You can just take standard deduction and 
and go on. Um, and, and that's a real blessing for a lot of folks. So that's, that's actually a good thing. But, you know, whenever you change the tax code, there are people who win and there are other folks who don't win. And uh, so uh, – but making – filling out your income tax easier is a win for anybody who doesn't have to itemize. Now, for those folks who are unfortunate enough to be going through a divorce – and this is probably pretty late for me to be saying this. I did mention it uh, months and months and months ago, but they're changing the rules on alimony. And, and the bottom line is, is that um, it's really sort of crazy, and I have no clue why Congress thought this was a good idea. Um, but the bottom line is that those folks who are paying alimony now, let's say you got divorced five years ago and, and you have an alimony order, the good news is those rules are not going to change for you. In other words, those rules are grandfathered. Very, very – and actually, initially, when I saw the rules, I didn't realize that the alimony was being grandfathered. So it's like, thank the Lord for that, for those folks. Um uh, and this year, for those folks who get are getting divorced or got divorced this year, and there's an alimony order involved, um, th- those are the old rules. And the old rules are that the person paying alimony gets a deduction, and the person receiving that income um, has to report that as income and pays the income tax on the money received. Now, under the new law starting January 1, then the courts are going to have to look at this very, very differently in terms of the equities because the person paying alimony no longer gets a deduction and the person receiving the alimony will no longer have to report it as income. So it's free money to the to the folks receiving the alimony and the person paying the alimony will pay far more in income tax because there's no deduction anymore at that point. So, um, you know, the courts are going to have to figure that out in terms of how that works. And it obviously makes a big difference to folks. Uh, One last thing on taxes, uh, and that is the rules for educational plans, the 529 plans, um, uh, are changing a little bit, becoming a little bit more liberal. Now, in North Carolina, we don't get uh, any uh, tax break uh, from North Carolina taxes as it relates to 529 plans. Now, truthfully, at the beginning, we did, but the legislature, in their infinite wisdom, took it away from us. So we don't get any North Carolina tax break. But, But Federally, the, the liberalization, if you will, is that they're going to allow people to use 529 plans not just for college expenses, but for K through 12 expenses as well. And of course, the only real advantage to a 529 plan uh, is the fact that it grows income tax free. And so that's, but uh, there's no deduction from state taxes and there's no deduction from federal taxes by creating or putting money into a 529 plan. So you have to put after-tax money into a 529 plan when you do it, but you can use that money uh, for more than what you could use it before. 
because uh, now it's K through 12 plus college that the 529 plans can be used for. And, and that's an advantage to some families, particularly those who have their children in private schools. And of course, that's exactly why they did it. Um, now, the limitation on 529 plans is that you have uh, fewer investment options. You only get to invest in whatever uh, investment opportunities are given to you in the plan. So you can't go out and pick your own investments. You have to uh, stay within the plan. Now, some states have different uh, investments than others, and you, and you don't have to invest in the North Carolina state plan, and there's no incentive to use the North Carolina plan anymore because there's no state income tax deduction uh, relating to contributions to your plan. So uh, you just have to choose whether a 529 plan can help you uh, with your children or, or grandchildren or not. Some great tips there. A quick break and back. You're listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Listening to Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. If you want to find more about Bill, head on over to WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. There's plenty of information there. You can register for next month's free seminar if you want to do that. It's on November 14th. Uh, you can find plenty of information about Bill and uh, schedule an appointment if you want to see him as well. It's WGALaw.com. Com. Jason Kong here with Bill Alexander. We just went over some tax tips, and earlier I jumped the gun on talking about protecting your spouse, <laughs> Bill, but uh, we've got some time here, so let's go ahead and jump into that. Absolutely. It's, it's really important. Uh, you, uh, everyone knows that when you lose your spouse, you go through a period of mourning and uh, difficulty. Uh, there's loneliness, there's isolation, there's grief, uh, and uh, any advisor uh, who uh, has any sensibilities at all will tell a widow or a widower to make no major decisions uh, for a period of time, uh, at least six to 12 months before you really, because you really are not thinking straight. And that's important. However, uh, quite frankly, there are so many cases where the surviving spouse is totally lost, um, and it's and it's not grief; it's the fact that they um, the the decedent did not share information with the spouse. Um, that should have been shared. So communication uh, is always important in a marriage. Uh, it, you know, any, anybody will tell you that in terms of a good marriage. However, the problem is is that oftentimes you have a situation where one spouse actually pays the bills. One spouse makes the financial decisions. You might consult with your spouse, but the bottom line is is that the information is with one spouse and not the other. Well, that's really, really bad. 
for a survivor who wasn't the decision maker. <laughs> so the bottom line is you have to find ways to make sure that both spouses are at least relatively knowledgeable about all of the finances. In other words, this is not a time to keep secrets. And obviously, this is extremely important for seniors to take heed because guess what? You know, it's far more likely that somebody will, in fact, become incompetent or die uh, as you get older. I mean, the percentages go up. So as we get older, these, this, um, this issue becomes more and more and more and more important. So the first thing is keep all your important papers together in one spot where both spouses know where those papers uh, reside. You know, it might be a, a personal safe that you have at home. It might be in a filing cabinet. But all of your very important papers should be together. So what am I talking about? Well, uh, you, you need uh, your financial papers, your bank statements, your brokerage statements, um, your uh, deeds, your life insurance policies, your long-term care insurance policies, or any kind of insurance policies, uh, you know, even your property and cal- ca- casualty insurance policies as well. But your last will and testament and your powers of attorney and all of those documents need to be in one place where both spouses know where it is. Um, Now, if um, uh, a lockbox at the bank is okay as long as you're married. Now, if you're single, lockbox at the bank is not a great place to keep those papers because your children may not have access to the box upon your death or disability. So that's uh, important. Um, Sharing passwords is more and more important because so many things that you have – I mean, not just passwords. You have to have a list of all of the things that you're keeping electronically because, guess what? There's less of a paper trail today than ever before. So if if you have an account uh, with somebody out in California and, it, and it's all electronic, how would your survivor know about the account necessarily uh, because it all comes electronically And so unless the spouse has knowledge of the account and the password to the account, even if it's a joint account, uh, they don't – if they don't – if they didn't set it up, then they may not have access uh, to the account. And you can't assume that they will know it or somebody will contact them. you you, got to do it yourself to make sure that all of those accounts are known and the access to the account is so that either spouse can get into the account. Um, now, obviously, when you you lose a spouse, uh, that's when you need to um, look at all of your legal documents, which, of course, so the bottom line is it's it's an appropriate time to see a good lawyer. Hey, come to W.G. Alexander and Associates. We're here to help you. There you go. Uh, <laughs> but the bottom line is, is that oftentimes uh, your documents need to be updated because your spouse is no longer there to to be your guide, to be your agent, uh, and you have to pick somebody else. And sometimes uh, new documents are very appropriate at that 
that time. Sometimes your estate plan changes. I have a lot of clients where they don't need a trust until the first spouse dies, but then it's all about the children, and and, uh, a trust oftentimes can be helpful for a survivor where it really was not that important uh, while both spouses were alive. So that's another uh, issue. But oftentimes you have to update beneficiaries too. So when you lose a spouse, because typically your spouse is your beneficiary or at least your primary beneficiary, and your contingent beneficiaries may have changed. Uh, And so it's always good to relook. Uh, you'd be surprised how many folks forget to look at your beneficiary designation. So what accounts do you have beneficiaries? Well, any kind of life insurance, any kind of annuity, and any kind of retirement account all have beneficiaries, and they all need to be looked at when you lose a spouse because you'd be surprised how often there's not a beneficiary uh, when you lose a spouse, and it can be extremely important to you. In fact, uh, there was a lawsuit uh, uh, not too many years ago, the big lawsuit went all the way to the United States Supreme Court where uh, a fellow uh, who di- divorced his third wife uh, forgot to change his beneficiary and and um so his ex-spouse ended up receiving a huge retirement account, uh, and there was an estate tax return. He wanted everything to go to his daughter, so his daughter sued to try to get the – this was the Kennedy case uh, that was um, uh, held. It wasn't the Kennedys that we all know and love. It was a different Kennedy family. But the bottom line is is that the the uh, – the daughter lost, and so the daughter got to pay all the estate tax, and the ex-wife got to keep all the retirement accounts. Wow. And that was because dad didn't change the beneficiary designation. It's really important. Whether you're rich or not rich, it's really important that you uh, look at that. Yeah, keeping that up to date and making sure that uh, your plans are doing what you want them to do are key. It is. Now, there's one other thing that's really important, and that is... How are your bills paid? You know, your spouse needs to know what bills are paid each month and each year, semi-annually, annually, whatever, and there needs to be a list, and how they are paid. You know, uh, because a lot of times now they're set up to be paid electronically or they're paid through your a credit card. Well, you know, the bottom line is credit card, after somebody dies may not be available to you anymore or it expires and guess what the spouse needs to know how everything is paid so that it can be rejiggled if you will uh and done correctly so that the the spouse is not totally uh, lost so the bottom line is death is hard enough on spouses without having to deal with uh, repercussions of a lack of planning where it's simply a matter of sharing information so everybody knows what needs to be done and how to do it. That's really what it comes down to. It's part legal, part financial, uh, but it's really important to both spouses. Yeah. it's uh, uh, Sometimes it could be a, a weird or awkward conversation to have, but it will save you 
a lot of turmoil and, and heartache afterwards in, in more ways than one to get ahead of, of these things. So we are out of time for today. I want to remind you, you can find more about Bill at WGALaw.com. That's WGALaw.com. You can also find Bill's book on Amazon. It's called Money Secrets with Bill and Mike. Lots of great financial tips. If you liked some of the tax tips that Bill gave out earlier, there's plenty of uh incredible tips in the the book, not necessarily all along the tax lines, but uh, a wide range of things. I highly recommend it. We hope you join us next week for Asset Protection Today. We do this every Saturday at 11. Thank you so much for joining us. It is Asset Protection Today with Attorney Bill Alexander on News Radio 680 WPTF. Have a great weekend.